Well, if you've got a Bible this morning, Romans 15 is where we're going to be, and so I hope you're ready to, to get in the Word of God a little bit this morning. Romans chapter 15, we, we're starting a new chapter. What's interesting is that even though we're starting a new chapter, we're not starting a new topic yet. We've been talking about liberty in Christ for the last three weeks. This morning will be the bow uh, on this series on liberty in Christ, and this morning the message is entitled, Laying Down Your Liberty Like Christ. In other words, this morning, we're going to culminate this series learning to lay down our liberty in Christ for, 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 for other people's sake. And, and we've, if you haven't been here the last couple of weeks, let me encourage you to go online and find those, those previous messages, uh, because everything really culminates and builds to this message uh, this morning. If you look at Romans 15, we're going to read verses 1 to 7, and then we'll get started. Look at verse 1. It's on the screen uh, if you need it this morning. The Bible says in verse 1, we then that are strong, ought to bear the infirmities of the weak, and not to please ourselves. Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification. For even Christ pleased not himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of them that reproached thee fell on me. For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Now the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded, one toward another, according to Christ Jesus, that ye may with one mind and one mouth glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wherefore, receive ye one another, as Christ also received us to the glory of God. And and, and so when I say that Romans 15 picks up where Romans 14 leaves off, the first two words are kind of the key. The first two words say, we then. And, And so what Paul is writing connects back to what we've already learned in chapter 14, and again, this is a continuation of what we've been studying the last few weeks, on what does it mean to have liberty in Christ. Can I just say this? Sometimes when we read the Bible, we get to a new chapter and we think, man, hard chapter, hard break, new thought. Just a reminder that when the Apostle Paul was writing this letter, he did not write it in chapters and with verse numbers, right? And that came later, And I believe God had a hand in that, just as much as God has had a hand in preserving the scriptures and and translating the scriptures through history. But chapter 15 is a continuation. As a matter of fact, the bookends for this passage on liberty are Romans 14.1. Because Romans 14.1 says, Him that is weak in the faith, receive ye, but not to doubtful disputation. And in in chapter 15 and verse 7, it says, Wherefore, receive ye one another as Christ also received us to the glory of God. The issue is, in this context of liberty in Christ, individual liberty, the gray areas, what you can exercise liberty in, at the end of the day, it begins and ends with receiving each other. Because God is really interested in unity in the body of Christ. And and, and as he goes through 14 and 15, we learned there are some people really strong in the faith. They they were so strong that they could eat meat offered to idols and it not defile their conscience. But we also saw there were people that were weak in the faith. And if they saw another brother in Christ eating meat offered to idols, it it jacked them up. It messed them up. They, They actually defiled themselves because they didn't have enough faith to realize that meat is just meat. And there's only one true God. And and, and so the point is, our relationship with other Christians in God's economy really matters. 
We, we, we have no room for individual personal Christianity that, that doesn't take into consideration the body of Christ. And so we've been learning that the last couple of weeks. And so, and so this morning, again, we're, we're putting the bow on it. Uh, this will be the last series in this uh, message in this series, but it gives us the application of everything that we've learned the last three weeks. And so this morning, here's the first point in your notes. And, and if you want to follow along and get some blanks, you know, I'll give you a smiley face at the end of service. Okay, look at, look at point number one. So the first thing we need to learn today is we need to learn to lay down our liberty so that we can minister to those weak in faith. We need to learn to lay down our liberty so that we can learn to or, or be available to minister to those that are weak. Verse 1 says, We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak. And, and Paul includes himself in the category of those that are strong. He says, we then that are strong. Okay, that's very interesting to me. He includes himself as someone who is strong in the faith. And he says that we, as those that are strong in the faith, have a responsibility to our weaker brethren. And the responsibility is we need to bear their infirmities. We need to bear their weaknesses. We need to bear their shortcomings. And so let me, let me make a, a two-part application here. Number one, I want to talk about what it means to be strong. And, and here's what we learn from the Word of God. If we want to be strong in the faith, number one, we need to realize spiritual strength comes from a right relationship with the Word of God. Spiritual strength comes from a right relationship with the Word of God. Now, some of us probably right there already realize, uh, I'm not as strong as I think I am. Right? If we're honest... Because, because spiritual strength comes from a right relationship with God's Word, if I don't have any relationship with God's Word or a very minute relationship with God's Word, well, I'm probably not spiritually strong in the faith. 1 John chapter 2, verses 13 to 14, John writes and he goes through all these different categories or stages of spiritual maturity. He talks about writing unto the fathers because you've known him that's from the beginning. And he's not talking about just physical fathers. But he's talking about spiritual fathers that have reproduced. They've, they've won people to Christ. They're, they're fathering people in the faith. Then he says, I write unto you young men because you've overcome the wicked one. I, I write unto you little children because you've known the father. I've written unto you fathers because you've known him that's from the beginning. I've written unto you young men, here it is, because you're strong. And the word of God, what does it do? It abides in you, and you've overcome the wicked one. And, and, and so the point is, when we have a right relationship with the Word of God, we grow in spiritual strength. We, we grow to become strong young men and young, win, young women, spiritually speaking. God is looking for people that are strong in the faith so you can minister to those weak in the faith. That's the point. You know, Romans uh, chapter 4 and verse 20, when the Bible talks about Abraham, the Bible says that, that Abraham staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but he was strong in faith, giving glory to God. You know, Abraham is a great example for us. Abraham was physically old, and God said, okay, listen, I'm, I'm gonna, you're going to bear a son, you know, uh, and, and through your son, all those promises that I made to you, they're going to be fulfilled through your son. And, you know, Abraham was not a, not a spring chicken. 
when he got that promise from God. And his wife wasn't a spring chicken either. You know, they were in their 90s, 90 and 99, if I'm not mistaken. And so, and so, man, he heard a promise from God, but yet he looked at his physical circumstances and said, how can that be? Well, he just, he just decided, I'm going to believe what God said instead of what I can see with my flesh and my, my eyes. My, my, my physical limitations don't matter in God's economy because God has given me his promises. He was strong in faith. And that's what it means, man. It means believing God at his word. And so listen, if we're going to be strong in our faith and strong in the word of God, we have to have a right relationship. We don't have to, we, we can't come to God's word unbelieving. We have to just come to God's word believing whatever it says, it's true. And God can keep his promises. That's how you become spiritually strong. Number two, spiritual strength comes from the Lord. You say, well, that's kind of a that's kind of the same thing. Yeah, it is. I mean, it is, but there's another verse that backs it up. Ephesians 6 and verse 10 says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And can I just tell everybody here, God is much stronger than you'll ever be. So just, so just learn to trust in the Lord's strength. Because, listen, spiritual strength comes from the word of God. And, and, and because it's the word of God, spiritual strength comes from God. And, and listen, no offense, he's got more power than you'll ever have. So just learn to rest in his strength and his power. And then number three, spiritual strength comes many times through adversity. And this is the part we don't like. Because, because to get spiritually strong, well, it means you've got to go through some stuff. You know, the, the, same, the same thing is true if you want to become physically strong, right? I mean... How many of us, we, we all know that we need to work out a little more than what we do? Okay, let's pray and repent right now, all of us. <laughs> Man, you know why we don't like working out or exercising? It's hard. <laughs> it hurts. <laughs> but do you know that through the adversity and the pain and the suffering and the turmoil, well, you get stronger. You, you get stronger. You're able to bear more. When you go through that, and physically, there's a, there's a parallel. Spiritually, there's a parallel. Paul, Paul said in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 10, Therefore I take pleasure in infirmities. I mean, Paul's kind of crazy. What? I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecution, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I'm weak, well, then I'm strong. You see, adversity gives us the opportunity to flex the muscles of faith in our lives. You, you don't really get to flex the muscles of faith until you face something that's opposite of what you really believe. And then you get to really believe it. And in the midst of our weaknesses, it's actually the strength in Christ that we're able to stand upon. And so, you know, I've stood in this pulpit for a long time, and, uh, and, and on several occasions I've told you, man, I really struggle with working out and exercising and all that junk. And I'm going to mess it up because now I'm telling you this story yet again. Uh, didn't you say that before? Yeah, I've said it a million times. Shut up. Don't, you know, it doesn't, you have too. Okay. So the last couple of weeks I've been riding a bike because that's the like least painful physical exercise that, you know, uh, I can tolerate without getting really angry. And so I'm riding this bike and, and so I ride a couple of times last week and I'm, I'm trucking along and it's a beautiful day. I like being outside. I'm riding this bike and I'm like, man. I hadn't ridden a bike in a couple of years. Look at me. I can go, man, psh, 
Look at this. So I, I rode. I'm going to tell you the mileage because some of you would be like, oh, that's a lot. And then some of you would be like, that's a joke, dude, really? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> did you really ride? Okay. So then fast forward to this week. I get back on the bike again, and I'm riding. And this time when I go out, man, it is like windy. It's bad windy. And so like the first half, I mean, the first 30 minutes I'm on this bicycle, I'm pedaling low gear into the wind. I mean, I'm trying to every, I'm tucking my head, you know, thinking I'm Lance Armstrong. I got my elbows in. I mean, like, is there anything, can I get any skinnier to cut through this wind? Man, it was hard. And I, and I pedaled and I pedaled and I pedaled. And I was like, this is exhausting. I'm against this wind and it's adversity and it's opposing me. And I had to make a decision. Well, I can just turn around and go back, but I know I need to really exercise. She said, drop a gear and keep going. And, and the truth is, after doing that for an hour, I'm better for it. I'm stronger for it. Not, not because I'm some kind of super athlete, no, but, but because when the adversity hit, I just didn't give up. I've given up in a lot of areas of my life, but in, in that particular instance, I didn't give up. The point is, if you're going to become spiritually strong, you've got to learn to endure some adversity. Paul understood that. Paul endured some adversity and his faith was strengthened in Christ. And God wants to use your spiritual strength, Christian. Listen, some of you in the room have spiritual maturity. And the reason that you have it is not an end to itself. The reason that you have it is so that God will use you to minister to other people. That's why you have it. That's why you are strong in the faith. You say, well, I'm strong in the faith because I've got it all figured out. No, you got strong in the faith because you believe God, and now God wants you to use that to bear the infirmities of those that are weak in the faith. That's why you have it. That's why you have it. And so the, the definition of to bear literally means to carry, to take up with hands, to sustain, and to support. And you see, the goal of the Christian faith is not to see how much knowledge you can get from the Word of God. And I'll, sit, I'll go a step further and say the goal of the Christian faith is not to see how much liberty you can practice, but is how much you can help your weaker brother grow in grace. You see, that's the goal. And so listen, some of you in this room and some of you watching online, you need to be reminded that you weren't always strong in the faith. At one point, you were weak in the faith because you were a brand new Christian at some point. And by the grace of God, God put somebody and, and, and some pastor and some church in your life, and he gave you the word of God and the spirit of God. And listen, for whatever reason and however long it took, man, there were people investing in your life. And over a course of time, you moved from spiritual weakness to spiritual strength. There were other believers that bared your weakness and your immaturity. And now... You get the privilege in Christ to do the same thing. And listen, some of us in this room, if we'd be honest, we, we need to identify and realize, man, I'm spiritually weak, and I need help. And let me just tell you, listen, if you're spiritually weak this morning, if you're a new Christian, if you're a babe in Christ, if you've been saved for a long time but never grown to maturity, can I encourage you this morning, you need help. And the way God designed it was that a stronger brother or sister in Christ would come alongside you to support you, to bear some things for you, to help you grow. That's called discipleship. That's called discipleship. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 2 says, Bear ye one another's burdens, 
and so fulfill the law of Christ. You know, Christians in, in Galatia were trying to go back to the law for their righteousness. And Paul says, listen, if you want to go back to the law, go back to this. Bear one another's burdens and you'll fulfill the law of Christ, right? That, that's what he's saying in Galatians chapter 6. In Acts chapter 20 and verse 35, over and over, God tells us we're to support the weak. Verse 35 says, I've showed you all things, how that so laboring you ought to support the weak and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said it's more blessed to give than to receive. You know, it's laborious work to support the weak. It's a worthy labor. You know, we, we'd be, a, I'd be careful how I say this. That's why a lot of churches don't really give a rip about discipleship. They don't really, they don't, they don't really care about making sure that the congregation that they have is maturing in the Lord. Let me tell you why most churches don't talk about discipleship. They're all about evangelism because it's, it's wonderful and exciting and, and exhilarating to make a baby, to win somebody to Christ. But man, can I just tell you, it's labor to raise spiritual children. It's labor. And it's a blessing. It's actually more of a blessing to give than to receive. And if you've been on the receiving end of people that have invested in your life, that have preached the word of God to you and discipled you and invested in you and walked through life with you and bore some burdens with you and for you, well, you know it's more blessing that it's more blessed to actually give that away now that you're mature in the Lord. First Thessalonians chapter five and verse fourteen says this: We exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded. But here it is again: support the weak, be patient toward all men. And again, that word support means to hold on to, to cleave to, to care for. And so, and so that's what we're called to do. Listen, as as mature Christians, and I hope you packed a lunch because we're not even getting close to getting through this message this morning, but. I worked in physical therapy for about 20 years, and I was blessed, had a cool career in, in the field of physical therapy. Some of my time early in physical therapy was spent in hospitals, and I got to work uh, in inpatient and outpatient in hospital settings. And, and there were times where in the hospital, uh, we were called to do physical therapy, uh, provide physical therapy for someone that had like knee surgery, right? They would go in, they would have a knee replacement, and, uh, and then, you know, the day after is that knock on the door, and it's the physical therapist, also known as the physical terrorist. Uh, yeah, they, they didn't like us for some reason. And so we knock on the door, and we come in, and, hey, Miss Jones, we need, to, we need to work on that knee a little bit. We need to do some exercise to get you strong. And usually that was met with opposition. And so, you know, we would do the best we could. The patient's laying in the bed. We would try to do some exercises or have them sitting up in the chair. But then, but then the big news came. Okay, we've done some nice little exercises. I hope your leg's feeling good. Uh, it's time. We need to sit up, and we're going to stand up, and we're going to walk down the hallway. Well, I just had surgery. That's right. <laughs> I can see the scar and the staples on, on your knee. So after some persuasion and some maybe non-church words you know, from the patient, they sit up on the side of the bed, and I have this thing called a gate belt. It's just a big old woven strap, um, and I would put this around a patient's waist. And what that did was it gave me the ability to support a person. I could put that around their, around their waist, and I could grab hold of that belt, and where they were weak and without strength, 
I could actually leverage my strength and ability to help them get to their, to get to their feet. And all of a sudden, man, this person that had surgery less than 24 hours, and man, they got a brand new knee, they'd never even stood on it. All of a sudden, now they're standing with a walker and with me supporting them. And then after much more encouragement and some begging and maybe even some bribery, hey, we need to take some steps in this room. And all of a sudden, man, after, after just, I, got, I, I promise, I've got you. Because the number one concern on their mind is what? Is falling. Have I done physical therapy on all y'all? <laughs> They're worried about falling. And I had to just tell them, look, I got you. You're not going to fall. And if you fall, I'll fall with you. But I guarantee you, I'll hit the ground before you and you'll fall on me. You're not going to fall. And then, man, a few minutes, we're, we're taking a few steps. We open the door. We get out in the hallway. And whew, there we go, right down the hallway. You know, the, the illustration is simple. But the same thing happens every Sunday. Because the Word of God is preached. God takes the sword of His Spirit, the Word of God. God performs spiritual surgery in our lives. God cuts out what needs to be dealt with. He brings us face to face with the things that aren't pleasing to Him or the things that we need to repent of. And listen, when God performs His surgery in our life, we need help and support to get back on our feet and to learn to walk again. You got to have people that are strong in the faith that you can rely on to help you get your spiritual muscles going again and to get your feet moving in the right direction. And that's why God's put us together. That's why God's put weak and strong together in one body, the body of Christ. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9 and verse 22, to the weak became I as weak that I might gain the weak. And a lot of times we look at that verse and talk about evangelistically how that connects. But I, I'll tell you this, Paul never lost his ability to connect with other people. In other words, even though Paul was strong in the faith, Paul could become as weak, he could connect with people at any level, even weaker brethren. Can you? Those of you that are strong in the faith, listen, what brother are you trying to support or gain? Whose rope are you holding? Whose walk are you helping? And listen, for those of you that, that need to grow, can I just tell you, you need to be open from support from a brother or sister in Christ because you're trying to, you're trying to walk on a knee that God's done surgery on without any help. And there's a really high risk of you falling back down. You need help. And that's why God's put us together. We probably could pray right there, but... I see we got a little more time, so we'll keep going. Man, God put us together for a reason. We ought to support the weak in our, in our church family. Number two, we need to learn to lay down our liberty to please other people. And right now, the Chick-fil-A drive-thru comes to mind, because no matter what you say in the Chick-fil-A drive-thru, the answer is always, my pleasure, man. I just want to grab them and say, you're lying. <laughs> It can't be. <laughs> they only hire spiritually mature people at Chick-fil-A, apparently. Look at verse 1. We need to learn to lay down our liberty to please other people. He says, listen, we need to support the weak and not to please ourselves. And, and by the way, if you support the weak, you're going to learn that you can't please yourself. Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification. For even Christ pleased not himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of them that reproached thee fell on me. 
And so here's the key question. Are we going to please God with our life, or are we going to please ourselves in this life? And, and it pleases God for you and I to minister to other people. Well, I ain't got time for that. Well, what you got time for? You? <laughs> well, you're more interested in pleasing yourself. You know, Paul writes in 2 Timothy 2, and he says, Listen, the things that you've heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. And so that's the verse that we use for discipleship. Take what you've been given, give it to someone else in Christ. Thou, therefore, endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. You see, the ministry of bearing the burdens of the weak is the ministry of discipleship, and that's what pleases God. That is what pleases God. And so, listen, we need to be about it. <laughs> we need to please other people because it pleases God. Now, we're not pleasing other people as far as being a man-pleaser, like we just say what they want to hear so they'll like us. That's not what the context is. The context is edification. The context is building your brother up. And so get this key in your notes. What your brother needs is to be edified. He needs to be built up. He needs to be edified. It's good for your brother to be built up. Verse 2 says, let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification. And because we're in a community of faith, that makes us neighbors. And so God's plan is that I build you up. And God's plan is that you be built up so that you can build others up. And the way that we accomplish that is through the Word of God. So the next key in your notes is that we edify others through the Word of God. That may not be a blank on your, on your notes, but it is on the screen. Listen, the Word of God is the key to build other people up. If, if I want to build you up, I can talk about how beautiful you are today, how nice you smell because you took a shower. We're thankful for that. You know, we, there's a lot of compliments I could throw your way, and, and maybe that would encourage you and build you up. But the thing that will really build you up is to take God's word and plant it into your heart and mind. And, it, and if you're willing to receive that, God will use that to build you up and strengthen you. 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 3 and, and of course, 1 Corinthians 14, the whole passage is about tongues and, and the context of speaking in tongues. And, and listen, uh, we're not going to cover all that today. The point is, if you ever needed a passage to show you why speaking in tongues isn't for today, you take the verses right out of 1 Corinthians 14 and it tells you. It says, verse 3, He that prophesieth speaketh unto men to edification and exhortation and comfort. In other words... The context of 1 Corinthians 14 is, is teaching, or excuse me, tongues versus preaching or prophesying. And Paul says that it's prophesying. Prophesying is the thing that builds other people up, not speaking in tongues. He says in 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 4, He that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifieth himself, but he that prophesieth edifieth the church. And, and the church is supposed to be edified, and so if you need another reason why tongues aren't for the church today, the verse tells you that tongues don't edify the church. The Word of God does. The preaching of the Word of God is what edifies the church. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 13 and verse 10, Therefore I write these things, being absent, lest being present, I should use sharpness according to the power 
which the Lord hath given me to edification and not to destruction. The point is, Paul is saying God's word, the scriptures, are what God uses to edify the church through the apostle Paul. That's how you build people up. It's through the scriptures, from a mature believer to a a weaker, maturing believer. That's how you grow people in the Lord. And that's the only way you grow them in the Lord. Now, some of you right now are going to be caught betwixt two because you know what I just said is true and you're not willing necessarily to let the Word of God be invested in you. You know that the only thing that's going to build you up is the Word of God. And you're not receptive to having the Word of God invested in you. You're in a strait, man. And you've got to make a decision. Do I want to please God? Do I want to grow? Do I want to become everything God has called me to be? You see, the, 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 the tendency in most churches is to be full of spiritual sponges. Spiritual sponges, I'm not saying that's the case in this church, but it could possibly be the case in this church, that we use our liberty to please ourselves. We don't give a second thought about pleasing our neighbor for his good to edify him. We soak up the teaching and the preaching. And by the way, some of us have done it for almost 10 years. And we've never done anything with it. But yet you live your life pleasing yourself without concern for the betterment of your brother. And friend, let me just lovingly warn you that you are carnal because you've never invested the word of God into another single person's life. And you would say, yet I am strong. And I would say, yet you are probably weak because your spiritual muscles have not been exercised. If you're getting the word of God ministered to you, that means you need to grow And you need to grow. You need to respond to it. You need to become strong so that you're not weak any longer. Be no more children. Children are weak. Men are not. Be no more children. I I dare say that in our churches globally, we're all just spiritually weak. False doctrine is rampant. We can't take our Bible and show someone how to get saved. Are you kidding me? You can't preach the gospel from the word of God? And how long have you been a Christian? Now, if you haven't learned, that's fine. We can teach you. But, but you know what the gospel is because you got saved. We can't take the word of God and, and show how to deal with sin. We can't take the word of God and show how to pray. We can't take the word of God and show what baptism is, what baptism isn't, what the Holy Spirit's job. Are you kidding me? Maybe, maybe we're really not as strong as we think we are. Or maybe we just haven't exercised our strength in ministering to other people. You see, Christ didn't minister like that. Christ laid down his life. As we look at the example of Christ in verse 3, who would have thought we needed four hours for like seven verses? Look at verse 3. For even Christ pleased not himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of them fell upon uh, the, the reproaches of them that reproached thee fell on me. And, and what Paul is doing is he's reaching back into the Old Testament in Psalm 69 and verse 9, and he's quoting this psalm concerning 
Christ. And what he says is, Psalm 69, verse 9 says, The zeal of thine house hath eaten me up, and the reproaches of them that reproach thee have fallen upon me. And so the point is, Christ did not live this life to please himself. He didn't live his best life now. He actually bore our reproach. He bore our imperfections. He bore our sin. So much so that it cost him his life. That's what Christ did for you. That's what Christ did for me. He bore our imperfections. He didn't please himself. And, and you just got to bear with me because, listen, there's, there's a ton of verses. We'll read them quick. Matthew 20 and verse 28. The Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. John 8 and verse 29, it says, he, he that sent me is with me. The Father hath not left me alone, for I do always those things that please who? Even Christ said, I don't please myself, I'm pleasing my Father. Matthew 3, and lo, a voice came from heaven saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. You see, the thing that ultimately led, the, the end goal of Christ laying down his life for our imperfections, our reproaches, our sins, it was his death. He didn't please himself. He laid down his life to the point of death. And the truth is, you and I are going to have to do the same thing for the sake of other people. You say, man, I don't, I don't love people that much. Well, you don't have to. Christ did. You don't have to love them that much. You just have to love Christ. And if you love Christ, you'll be willing to lay down your life just like he laid down his life for you. And so we, we see the example of Christ, and, and God pulls that Old Testament passage from Psalms, that messianic psalm, to teach us New Testament application. So let me give you the next point that's really important. We see a testimony from the scriptures in verse 4, because Paul goes on and he continues this thought, and he says, whatsoever things were written aforetime, such as the Psalms, were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. And so the point is, what Paul is doing in, in Romans 15 is telling you that your Old Testament is important. You don't need to unhitch from the Old Testament. You don't need to disregard your Old Testament. The things that were written aforetime were written for application to the New Testament church. They're not just Old Testament history of the Jews or to David or his persecution. They're written for us for our learning. So don't unhitch from it, because the testimony of scriptures prove that Christ didn't leave, live his life for himself, and we can't live our life for ourselves. And so here's the two things that you need to minister to other people. Number one, you need patience, and that's not what you need just to get through this sermon. That's what you need to minister to people. You need patience. People are difficult. Now, nobody's going to say amen right there, but you know it's true, because you're difficult. Amen? <laughs> People are difficult, and can I just tell you, patience is the ability to endure difficult situations and difficult people. Well, that's the ministry. People aren't the problem. People are the ministry. People are the ministry. Anybody that says people are the problem in church world don't have the heart of Christ. People aren't the problem. People are ministry. And because they're ministry, we have to have patience. We get patience from the scripture. Number two, we get comfort from the scripture. 
You get patience also from enduring affliction, but then we also get the comfort of, of, of the scriptures. And, and, and so God gives us the promises to be able to minister to other people on his behalf. That's the point. That's the point. We get to lay down our life like Christ laid down his life. And God can use you mightily in spite of yourself. And then the last point, we're done. Look, number three, we need to learn to lay down our liberty so we can glorify God. That, that's the point. That's the point. Verse five, now, the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded one toward another according to Christ Jesus that ye may with one mind and one mouth glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wherefore, receive ye one another, as Christ also received us to the glory of God. And so, and so the point is, this is, listen, when you and I choose to grow up in the Lord and receive the Word of God and become strong in the Word of God, and then you choose to lay down your life and your liberty so that you can minister to other people, that's how God's glorified. That's how God's glorified. And God says, you need to have the same mind in you that Christ had in him. And, and, and we get that out of Philippians chapter 2, right? Christ, this is a famous passage. Everybody knows this passage. Philippians 2 verse 5, it says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robber to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, and was made him, uh, in the likeness of men, and being found fashioned as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient unto death, even, even the death of the cross. You see, we need to have the same mind about this issue that Christ had about it. God wants us to change our mind. God wants us to change our mind about liberty. God wants to change our mind about ministry. We need to learn to live in a way that doesn't please ourselves. That happens for some of us every day of the week. I'll tell you the day it really happens is on Sundays. Can I tell you that's the day it happens? Man, I sure, it'd be a lot easier just stay in the bed. It'd be a lot easier just not go to church. This morning, man, my alarm went off, and I muted it or turned it off, and that was a mistake. And then 30 minutes later, I roll over, and I'm like, <gasps> you know, and Cody always beats me here, so, you know, I, I feel less spiritual because, you know, Cody gets here first. <coughs> true, true, sta true statement, and, and not today. He didn't, he didn't even late, uh, but you had your family, so, I mean, you had your kids. And so, man, I, I rolled over and looked at the clock, and I thought, can I just call it in today? Can I just dial it in? <laughs> I appreciate your sympathy. <laughs> but you know every one of you do that on Sunday morning. Like, I, you know, I see the way you come in, all right? <laughs> I, I see the way some of you roll in, man. The thought went through your mind like 30 minutes before you walked through that door. Would anybody miss me if I wasn't there today? Did I sign up to serve? And if not, boy, that gives me a little bit more opportunity to maybe not show up. Am I spitting truth? Okay, sorry about that. Uh, you know, we all struggle with that, man. We've got to have the same mind that Christ had. We've got to be willing to lay down our life and not please ourselves. We've got to lay it down. And, and you have to change your mind. That, you see, your action will never change until you change your mind. Until your mind changes, you'll never take the steps necessary to see this accomplished. You have to change your mind. You have to change your mind according to the Word of God. So here's the goal of CFBC. The goal of CFBC and its ministry, number one, is to get us all with one mind. My goal is to brainwash you with the mind of Christ. That's the point. 
2 Corinthians 13, verse 11, and again, this thing of one mind shows up all through the New Testament. Paul writes, he says, brethren, farewell, be perfect and of good comfort, be of one mind. The Corinthians were full of division. Paul said, be of one mind. The Philippian uh, letter, chapter 1, verse 27, he says, listen, whether I'm present or absent, I want to be able to hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, in one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Philippians 2, he says, listen, uh, fulfill ye my joy that you be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, being of one mind. So here's the point. We all need to have the mind of Christ. We all need to have the mind of Christ. We need to approach our liberty with the mind of Christ. And we need to approach the ministry with the mind of Christ. And can I just tell you, I wonder what the Lord thinks about this or that or the other. We have it. This, this is the mind of Christ, right? We, we have that out of 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16. Who hath known the mind of the Lord that he may, be, that he may instruct him? But we have... We have the mind of Christ. We have his mind through his word. We know what God thinks about everything because he's given us his written revelation, okay? And so the goal is that we be like-minded. Number one, we have one mind. And then secondly, that we have one mouth. And this is really important because when you have the same mind, you're going to say the same things. Look at, look at 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 10. Again, Paul dealing with a very carnal church. He says, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. So we need to have the mind of Christ. And when we do, here's the second point under that, we're going to speak the word of God. When we have the mind of Christ, we're going to speak the word of God. We've, we've got a class full of people right now going through cost of discipleship. And if you guys hadn't figured it out yet in cost of discipleship, we're trying to, we're trying to brainwash you. We're trying to basically take whatever mind that you walked into this church with and give you the mind of Christ. And we're going to give you the word of God so that so that you can internalize it and make it real for your life. But then when you speak, what comes out is the Word of God. That's the cool thing about discipleship. That's the cool thing about biblical ministry is that, is that it reproduces Christ-like believers that can bear the infirmities of the weak. He ends that passage, and I know your notes are full, but just listen. He ends that passage with receive one another as Christ has received us. I want you to be reminded that Christ received us in our weakness and our sin. Christ received us when it cost him his own shame. He was beaten. He was mocked. He was disrobed. That's what it cost him to receive us. Christ received us when it wasn't his will. If you remember in the garden, man, he's praying to his father and saying, Lord, if it's possible, let this cup Pass from me, nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou will. And Christ received us, ultimately, it cost him his life. And God says that's how you're to receive each other. You're to receive each other like Christ. And so listen, if you're here today, number one, if you're not saved, if you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, can I give you the good news? 
The good news is Christ will receive you just the way you are. And your brokenness, in your imperfection, in your sin, in your carnality, in your reproach, you say, man, you just don't know me, Jay. I don't have to know you. I know that whoever you are and whatever you've done, Christ is willing to receive you just as you are. You can come to him as Lord and Savior and be forgiven. You don't clean your life up and then come to Christ. You come to Christ in, in your sin and your reproach, and Christ cleans your life up. That's the only way it works. And so listen, if you're not saved today, I want to invite you to respond to Jesus Christ. He'll save you from your sin. He will wash away your sin. He will cleanse you. He will make you new in Christ. Number two, if you're saved today, the question on the table is, will you receive your brothers and sisters in Christ? Will you receive your brothers and sisters in their weakness and in their infirmity and their reproaches? And some of you are strong in the faith, but you still have weakness and infirmity and reproach. And some of you weak Christians need to understand that, listen, they're not perfect, but you can still receive them and grow and learn from them. And some of you are weak in the faith and you need to receive a strong brother into your life. And some of you are strong in faith and you need to realize you need to receive weak brethren into your life in their weakness, in their sin, in their reproach. You need to grab that gate belt and help them stand up on that knee and walk with Christ however long it takes, however long it takes, because that's what God's called us to do. God has put us together to grow. That's why he put us together. Amen? And I think we can do it. I think we can do it because God's done it. So let's pray. Cody's going to come. We're going to sing a song of invitation, but I want you to bow your heads right now.